Hey, good morning. It's Sunday, August 2nd, and our teaching text comes from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. These are the words of Jesus. He said, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does bear good fruit, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Today, we're going to talk about cultivating discernment in an age of deception. Uh, What is deception? What does it mean to deceive another person? Uh, To deceive is to cause someone to believe something that's not true to gain personal advantage. To cause someone to believe something that's not true typically to gain personal advantage. In this great book called Freakonomics, uh, Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt explain why people do what they do in terms of incentives, incentives being like rewards, economic rewards, social rewards, things like that, and disincentives, which are like penalties. And sometimes incentives and disincentives are obvious, and oftentimes they are hidden even to us. And their thesis, which I happen to agree with, is that much of our behavior in life is driven by incentives and disincentives, rewards and penalties. So you post the picture of yourself with that random celebrity that you ran into. Why post it and not just like hold on to it and treasure it? Well, you're incentivized by the positive response of your peers, you know, their approval, the like, the comment, the jealousy, even just the attention. Their response provides the reward or the incentive that encourages you to post the picture in the first place. Uh, An example of a disincentive. You really, really want a slice of that cake that your spouse made that you're supposed to take to the party. Hey, do you remember when parties were a thing? You really, really want a slice of that cake, uh, but their response, knowing that they're going to be really angry with you for taking a slice of cake before the party, is sufficient disincentive to get you not to take the slice of cake. Instead, you just covertly take a little bit of the frosting and hope that they don't notice it. Why on earth would a person choose to deceive another person? Well, typically, they have some kind of incentive to do it. They want something from you or want you to do something that you probably wouldn't give them or you probably wouldn't do on your own accord. Your unwillingness to comply or to participate in their plan is hindering them from their own wish fulfillment and it creates as a byproduct an incentive for them to deceive or to trick you. Now, a moral person, by virtue of having a conscience that they want to keep clean, has a disincentive against deceiving you because they don't want to feel badly about it. They don't want to mess up their relationship with you. But Jesus warns us that there are people who lack this disincentive, who don't mind betraying their conscience or harming you in the process. If that helps them get ultimately what they want, they will steal your data, they'll steal your identity, they will steal your car. And there are even people in this world who just delight in in like the misery of others, who delight in causing harm and in exploiting and taking advantage of other people. And cognizant that such people exist, Jesus warns his listeners with the first two words in this text. He says, watch out or be on your guard. 
But Jesus' warning was not against deceptive people or deceivers in general, but against deceptive people who would purport to speak for God. And he calls these people false prophets. False prophets happens a, a phrase that comes up actually a lot in the Bible. And Jesus describes these false prophets using three metaphors. Uh, the first is uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And then there's thorns, and thorns usually accompany like roses or rose bushes. And then there are thistles, and thistles are a plant in the daisy family that has a prickly stem and typically a purple leaf. And in each of these cases, the, the thorn, the thistle, and the wolf in sheep's clothing, there's an external appearance that doesn't seem altogether that threatening. An external presentation that doesn't cause alarm or give you a reason to put your guard up. But on closer inspection, there's actual, actually a danger afoot. There's a dangerous reality within. The Bible actually talks about how the enemy, the devil, presents as an angel of light. So not only does not run around like in red spandex with a pitchfork and horns, but actually dresses in a way to appear trustworthy and innocent. And I have to tell you from, from my own experience, and I'm sure many of you relate to this, that sometimes the dark voices in your mind and your heart seem to make a lot of sense. They might actually seem trustworthy. Uh, for me, there was actually a time earlier this year where, you know, I'm grieving the loss of really good friends, isolated and worn out because of COVID, that I started to think that some things about myself, about my friends that made a lot of sense, that felt really sensible and logical. And I started to get isolated in my own darkness. No one understands me. Nobody appreciates me. I'm not making a difference in the world. These are kind of the things um, like the soundtrack in my mind. And it felt like the walls were pressing in on me. And there were days and there were times where I just felt catatonically uh, depressed. But I didn't get into this position all at once. It didn't happen suddenly. It was a gentle drift into the dark. And the work of deception happens like this. The work of deception or ideological subversion happens slowly over time. It's like a pot of water on the stove. It's increasing in danger level gradually, degree by degree, so slowly, in fact, that you might not even be aware that it's happening. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Maybe you're there right now where you're entertaining thoughts about yourself that like it feels like it's just so true. It feels irrefutably true. And you find yourself quietly hopeless or entertaining choices that you would never previously consider. There was a fourth century preacher named John Chrysostom. They called him the golden mouthed preacher who said, remember that the ancient adversary is forever introducing deception as if it were true. And I would say it can feel impossible in our cultural moment where we have infinite access to new information and opinions we have a never-ending buffet of news sources representing disparate views of reality. We've got a fresh slideshow every couple of seconds on social media reminding you that everybody else is prettier and more successful and more well-connected than you. And there's less and less uh, reason to trust what have historically been reliable sources of authority, authority structures. It's, it's tougher and tougher to know how to discern truth from lies in our moment. And we, as a people, are worse off for it. People are anxious and confused and hurt and lost and uncertain about the most basic principles of the human experience. 
And in a, in a moment of widespread deception, when lies are being gallivanted around as truths, what do we most need? We need the, the cultivation of the gift of discernment, cultivating discernment in an age of deception. In first things, first Kings three, uh, God appears to King Solomon in a dream and he offers him anything that he would wish for. And this is what the text tells us. Solomon prayed, Lord, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And the text tells us the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, had asked for a discerning heart. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do for you what you asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will have never been anyone like you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we meet the men of Issachar who it says, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They had the gift of discernment. Proverbs 14 says, wisdom reposes, it's at rest in the heart of the discerning. So what is discernment? Uh, Discernment is a gift from the Holy Spirit to be able to distinguish truth from lies, wisdom from folly. And our skill in discerning truth from lies is amplified as we learn to hear and obey the voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, but they will not follow the voice of a stranger. You learn to to hear, you confirm the voice of God, the voice of truth by acting in alignment with it. And the more you act in cooperation with the voice of God and align your reality with his reality, the more you develop a discerning instinct. The voice of God, the voice of truth leads to life, to community, to peace, to holiness. But the voice of the deceiver, the deceiving voice, offers life but leads to death, offers liberty but leads to our own slavery. It can offer belonging, but it only leads to isolation. It can offer peace, but actually delivers on unrest. Promises to be in line with holiness, but just leaves us feeling guilty. The deceiving voice at times feels true, but it is a pack of lies. But the discerning know uh, that that the wisdom that comes from heaven, this comes from the book of James, is first of all pure, peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The reality is that we live in a world in which there are individuals who operate by deceit as their MO. That there are institutions and there are industries that thrive on deceiving the public in order to make a profit. But we should also pay attention and be be acutely aware in our moment that there are also what the Bible calls powers and principalities of darkness that speak deceit as its mother tongue, who in all ways oppose that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. There are dark forces that delight in peddling lies just to watch the chaos and the confusion unfold. And you may have fallen prey to these lies about yourself, lies about other people, lies about the world, and ultimately even lies about God. 
But as the people of God, we're not left in perpetual vulnerability to these lies. It is the joy of God to offer us the gift of discernment as a bulwark against the lies of the enemy. So, so what do we do to begin discerning truth from lies, wisdom from folly? How do we develop a wise and a discerning heart? First of all, like Solomon, we just ask for it. We, we ask God to give us a discerning heart. God, would you give us discerning hearts, hearts that are hungry to know wisdom from folly and truth from lies, and also give us the courage to act on the truth when we receive it. So first, we, we ask God to give us a discerning heart. Second, we put ourselves in a position to be immersed in the truth. Uh, I would admonish you just to read your Bible uh, to, to read the scriptures, to talk about the scriptures, to memorize and meditate on the scriptures, uh, to be in Christian community and like, like tell people, here's the crazy thing I'm thinking right now. I need you to confirm or deny if I'm going in the right direction on this. Uh, we ask for a discerning heart. We put ourselves in a position to be immersed in the truth. But finally, as the truth becomes clear, we renounce lies and we replace them with the truth. Now, a, a, a thing that may sound like I'm a little bit out there, but I think is a, a reality of the, the world that we live in, is that God has given us spiritual authority over our bodies. We have spiritual authority over our mind and our, our body as followers of Jesus. And there's something really, really powerful when we actively and verbally renounce lies and replace them with the truth. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am not making a difference, that I am uh, contributing nothing to God's work in the world. I renounce that lie in the work of the enemy, and I replace it with the truth of Scripture that Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Maybe you'd pray something like this. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I am worthless and unlovable and forgotten, and I replace it with the truth that I am a child of God, that I am beloved, that I am free from condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. And I believe, I just believe that there's a work of deliverance that God wants to do in many of our hearts. And in the hearts of many people who have lived lives of quiet desperation because in that dark corner you've held onto a lie that has enslaved you, and Jesus wants to offer you the gift of freedom as you come into the light, as you begin to operate within the reality of truth. Here's how it happened for me. In this dark spot of like catatonic depression, Emily said, John, you've got to bring other people in. And I texted two friends who are godly, people who have spiritual authority, and I said, I don't want to talk, but I just need you to pray for me. Within 30 minutes, I began to feel like the dark clouds that were like all I knew in my brain began to part, and it's like rays of sunshine began to come in. And as things began to open up, I texted you know four or five other buddies, and I said, guys, here's where I am. I need you to pray for me, and I also need you to just talk with me. I need to, I need to walk through this with you because I've been feeling really isolated. And I began to experience for me, like in real time, as it's happened maybe for many of you, God delivering me from lies and bringing me into the liberty of truth. And I think that he wants to do the same for you. 
Maybe you're not thinking of yourself today, but you're thinking about someone that you love who's just enslaved by lies. And today, as we as we pray, we're just going to pray in, in a posture of intercession, interceding, like asking God to do a work of deliverance, to part the dark clouds and let his light come in. So whether you're praying for yourself or you're praying for somebody else, right now let's go to the throne of grace with confidence and ask God for what we need. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the author of truth, that in you there is a true beauty and goodness and life and light, that it is your pleasure to adopt us into your family, to give us your Holy Spirit, everything we need for life and godliness. And my prayer, Lord Jesus, now is for the people of our church and for everyone watching, that you give us the gift of discernment to know truth from lies and wisdom from folly. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on people who are trapped in darkness right now and who have such, they're just in a cave of lies, uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would break through, let your light break in and bring deliverance and freedom For those who are believing lies about themselves, that you'd replace those lies with the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. For those who are isolating themselves and believing lies about others, that you'd bring reconciliation and strengthen relationships. And for those who have been uh, or believing lies about you, Lord Jesus, that you would retell your own story in their hearts about the work that you did on the cross to rescue them. Lord Jesus, we renounce the work of the enemy, the, the, the lies of the enemy in our church and in our city, and we invite the reign of God to come to bear and to be manifested in our time for your glory. Lord, we love you and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, we'll see you around. I'd love for you to join us Sunday mornings on the lawn, uh, 915-4803 South Lewis. We'll see you around. God bless you.